All right, how are we doing? Okay, all right, good. Um, so as, Mark, or as, as John mentioned, we're going to do something a little different this week. Uh, we're going to take a pause in our Mark series, and uh, we're going to take a look at kind of a, a key cultural issue, the issue of homosexuality um, in light of the Supreme Court ruling on Friday. My name is Matthew. I'm one of the uh, pastors here. Uh, my title is associate pastor. I'm also an elder at the church and uh, normally get the privilege of leading the music, but um, Josh and Aubrey are doing a great job doing that uh, today, right? Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate them. Um, they're such a blessing to have, uh, as, as well as a number of other leaders in our church. Um, so we, as, as leaders, we kind of uh, were talking a few weeks back and we said, gosh, it seems like this, this issue of, of gay marriage and homosexuality is a really hot topic in our culture today. Uh, certainly fair share of controversy around it. And uh, we thought we would, we would like to take this week and pause and consider as Christians, how should we engage uh, this topic? You know, how should we think about it, and then, and then how should we carry those convictions into culture? So, um, fair warning, I am not a preacher. This isn't, this isn't my thing, um, but, but I am a pastor, and I get a lot of questions about this, and so um, I'm, I'm privileged to have the opportunity to just kind of have a bit of a family chat today, um, hopefully encourage us to, to think and, and engage this topic in a, in a manner that's biblical and wise, and so um, that's what I'm going to do. And so let's pray together as we get into this. <clears throat> God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, we thank you that your church uh, is established in this world and has been, uh, has been led by your, uh, your grace for over 2,000 years and has been uh, experienced through many cultures in many times. And God, we thank you that your truth doesn't change even though the cultures do. Um, so Lord, we pray that you'd give us wisdom. We pray that you'd give us grace. Pray that you'd open uh, our ears to hear what you would have for us today. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, Luke, our leader, preached on this topic about two years ago. Uh, we were teaching through the book of Romans and he spent two weeks speaking on this topic of homosexuality. He did a great job kind of giving a biblical defense for why we believe the Bible teaches that homosexuality and same-sex marriage is wrong. Um, and, and, if, and rather than unpack all of what he did, I would encourage you to go listen to those sermons if you have specific questions on that. We'll post a link uh, tomorrow on the blog uh, where you can find tons of resources. But, but what I wanted to do today specifically was to just go through the questions, the most common questions that I hear our culture asking and specifically that, that Christians ask me and ask other fellow pastors uh, surrounding this topic. Okay, and there's a lot of tension in this, in this room maybe and certainly in, in, the, in this topic right now culturally. So I want us all to just take a, uh, a deep breath, remind ourselves that Jesus is on his throne, that he is good, that he loves us, um, and he actually grows us through tension and difficulty and even suffering. Um, and so this, this is a, an important time for us, but it's not a time for us to, to freak out. It's a time for us to stop and examine, uh, examine what God would have us to examine and move forward. So I'm going to just dive in. These are questions, no particular order, um, but I hope that, that it's helpful for you uh, today. So first question that we've seen, uh, people are asking, is this really a big issue? How important is this? 
Okay, so we have one, one group of people that seem to say, this is no big deal, right? There's, sin's been in the world forever, and there's sinners all over the place. We're, we're numbered among them. Why, why are we making such a big deal about homosexuality? And there's another group that says, the sky is falling, right? Like, oh my goodness, we're, we're, the world's ending. We've gone down a path that's going to plunge us into, into hell, and, and everything's everything's." Ending. And depending on who you listen to and what you read and what you watch, you, you might be on either side or both of those lines. And so um, from our perspective as a church, uh, we do feel like this is an important issue, but it's not the biggest issue. Okay, it's an important issue, but it's not the biggest issue. Why is it an important issue? Well, because it's a distortion of God's good creation. The world was created by a good and gracious and loving God and he created it a certain way based on his character and based on his desire to share his goodness with his people. And homosexuality, along with many other sins, but this sin in particular is called out by the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 as a deviation or a distortion or a twisting of God's good plan. Um, it's also... A, a, uh, a reversal of the foundational institution that God designed um, to, to, uh, to watch over and protect and care for humans, okay? So we are born into families. That's God's design and purpose. And he designed those families to, to have a mother and a father so that a little boy and a little girl could grow up and know what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and what it means to love, um, to love one another and love your spouse. And so there's some foundational um, things that are deconstructed when we embrace as a society uh, homosexual marriage. And that, that grieves us as Christians because we love people, we love this world, and we want to see people flourish and grow. It also grieves us because homosexuality um, distorts the character of God. It further veils the reality of who God is and what he's done. Um, God, throughout creation, reveals himself in the pattern of what was made. So we learn some key things about God in heterosexual marriage. We learn, we learn things uh, about the, the reality that the Trinity, God, is a, a triune God. He's existed forever in perfect unity, and yet there's diversity in God. There's community in God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not the same thing. They are each distinct, and yet they're united in one. And God created man in his image in that uh, unity and diversity. And so uh, marriage is, is the coming together of two complementary others. Not, not two sames, but two others. And that is a picture of God himself. And so when that picture is distorted, we grieve because it, it's, a distorted, it, uh, it's, it's a distortion of, of who God is. So, it's, so it is important. Um, and then finally, it's important because as uh, Romans, as the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, um, homosexuality is an indication when the culture embraces this and when, when people come alongside and give approval to something that's a distortion of God's good plan, it's an indication that God is allowing us to experience judgment. And that is a scary word. And that's a word that I said that last service and a few people stood up and left. And I totally understand that. And so hear my heart here. Um, 
It's not to say that people who struggle with same-sex attraction are any worse of sinners than anyone else. But um, when we move away from God's good plan for the blessing of his creation, God at some point, Romans 1 says, at times will step back and say, fine, have, have, have it your way. And that's a, that's a, that's a scary thing. Um, it's, not, it's not something that Christians need to fear because Jesus Christ is on his throne. We can breathe, um, we can breathe today just like we could breathe on Thursday. Um, but it's scary and sad because we love people. And God loves his creation. And when we see um, things that will, will hurt people and hurt uh, the, the future of, of a society or a culture, it, it grieves us. And so um, it's serious because of love, not because of fear. And that's a big point I want to make today and I want to help us understand. As Christians, we don't have to be afraid and we, you know, I don't know if you know this, but this is a little tip. News organizations, they want you to be afraid. That's how they get you to watch. And, and, and authors, that's how they sell books. And speakers, that's how they get you to listen. We don't need to be afraid, okay? We, we do need to love our neighbor. And when we see something that's hurting our neighbor and hurting our world, it, it grieves our hearts. So next question I want to look at, what does love even mean? Okay, I've used this term a few times, love. We're called to love. We, we are grieved because of love. What does love even mean? Well, the, the scriptures give us a great picture of love and the, the most condensed um, and, and comprehensive view or picture of love is in the person of Jesus himself. And so, so God, as manifested in God the Son, Jesus Christ, is, is a God who defines love for us. So love primarily um, is, is self-sacrificing and it gives itself for the benefit and blessing of the object of its affection, okay? So this is the pattern that God follows throughout scripture. He, he gives generously of himself in self-sacrifice for the benefit and blessing of the object of his affection. That's what love is. It's not just kindness, although there's an element of that. It's not just care and concern and, and acceptance, although there is some of that in there. But it is the desiring and the working toward the benefit and the blessing of the object of its affection. We see this uh, all throughout the scriptures. And just one quick note on this. Love is a lot deeper. God's love is a lot deeper than many of us think. And the, the way you can know, um, the way you can know if you understand God's love rightly is, is look at the way that you show love. Um, and, and if any of you are parents, you can hopefully identify with me when I say there, there's an end sometimes to my ability to show love in a perfect way to my kids. It's oftentimes more conditional than I would want. It's oftentimes more selfish than, than, is, than is truly, would be truly accurate and reflective of love. But God's love isn't like that. It's enduring um, it's gracious, it's compassionate, and it's filled um, with, with truth. Uh, so next question here. How can I truly love gay people? Okay, so we, we define love as pursuing the benefit and blessing of the object of its affection. And if I'm called, as Jesus says, to love my neighbor as myself, it's the greatest commandment, right? Love God with all that we have and love our neighbor as ourself. How can I as a Christian, love uh, my gay neighbor. And I use that term in gen general uh, terms. 
Uh, well, we need, to, we need to love the way Jesus did. And John 1 tells us that, that Jesus was filled with grace and truth. Okay? Uh, another important point is that he came near to us. Uh, God shows his love for us that he, in, in, the, in the reality that he came near, he, he drew near. The incarnation in Matthew 1, when the angel is announcing the birth of the Messiah, he said he'll be called Emmanuel. He refers back to Isaiah's prophecy, which means God with us, which is this incredible reality, this incredible promise that God, the holy God who no one can approach, is coming to live with us and to dwell with us. And so um, one way that, that's really, really um, important and can be, can be challenging to love people is to, is to draw near to them. Jesus was marked by uh, love. He loved people by making them his friends. He called his disciples. He said, you're not just gonna be my servants, although that would be a great deal to be a servant in the house of God, in the kingdom of God. He said, I'm gonna call you friends. And what did that mean? It means that he ate with them. He went to their houses. He went to their parties. He made people feel welcome and he treated them with dignity and honor and respect as people created in the image of God, bearing the very image of God. Although all of us with, with, with frailties and imperfections marred by sin. Jesus also loved people by showing humility. Um, we see in Philippians 2 this great passage talking about how Jesus left his throne in heaven and laid down his rights to serve and love people. Um, we, we see it in his care and his compassion for others. First Peter 5 says to cast your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. He cares deeply. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows your future and your past, and he's, he's intimately acquainted with all of your ways. He knows the thoughts you're gonna, you, you're gonna have before you have them, and he cares. Romans 2 says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so Jesus is the perfect embodiment of the kindness of God. Jesus took time to spend with people, to get to know them, and he gave freely of his resources. He died with no home, very little money, very few possessions. He gave it all away in love. And his love was genuine. It's not something that can be faked. It's not uh, a love with words only, but it's a love in word and deed. And so a huge way you can love your gay neighbor is by loving and living the way Jesus lived. Another thing that Jesus did that was, that was challenging um, is that he was extremely honest with people. He loved them enough to tell them what would lead to blessing and what would lead to suffering and pain. He loved them enough to say, there's one way to God and it's through me. And there's this wide path that many people are going down that leads to destruction. And there's this narrow path that I'm willing to walk with you on and help you on. But, and that's the path that leads to life. And it, it wouldn't be loving for me to let you go down this path. And so he was honest with people. We can love our gay neighbors and friends uh, if we're honest. And that will lead them to trust us if they choose. So we want to pray that God would, would give us the ability to love uh, people like this. So next, next question here. So how can I or should I reach out uh, to gay people in my community, maybe in my workplace, maybe in my family? 
Um, this is a great question, and, and some of the principles that we talked about are things that we could do. We could do what Jesus did and draw near to them. It's very easy to build boundaries and walls in our lives and say, I don't want, I, I don't want to deal with that. That's too difficult. There's too much tension there, and, and withdraw, but that's not what the Lord did, and that's not the example that we have to follow. Uh, we want to get to know people. We don't want to just let one issue define them because we know that one issue doesn't define us. We want to get to know them. And so uh, there's some questions I want to throw up on the, the screen here that, that are questions that are great, great ways to help get to know people. Uh, N.T. Wright came up with these. These are five fundamental questions that every person asks. And every person at some level has an answer for. Answer for. They're questions necessary to live in this world. And so the first question is this. Who am I? Everyone's asked this question and everyone's wrestling with this question. What does it mean to be human? Why do I exist? What defines me as a person? Another question, where am I? Okay, uh, people ask, what kind of world do I live in? What's going on? Where, where, where are things headed? Um, uh, what's, what's its purpose? Why is, why is it here? There's, there's lots of different views on that, and this is a great way to get to know people by asking this question. Next question, what's wrong with the world? Everyone experiences pain. Everyone experiences suffering. Everyone knows there's something wrong. What's wrong with the world? What do you believe is the cause of the problems and the pain that we experience in our world? Next, what's the remedy? This is a great question to ask people. What do you believe will fix the brokenness that we see around us? And we as Christians have definitive answers for these questions. And lastly, uh, what time is it? And that seems like a funny question. Uh, you're not asking if they have a watch. This is a question that, that says, in, in what you believe is the true story of history, where do we find ourselves today? And this is a great question for us as Christians to wrestle with because we don't believe we are in the end of, of time. We believe there is a future, a hope, that will be much different than, than this world today. But we are, in, we are in the middle, and there's work to be done in the middle. And if we forget that, if we think we're, we're over here or over here, and we forget that we're here, it, it shapes and changes the way that, that we view um, the work that we do in the world today. And so uh, very important to, these are, these are great ways to get to know people. Um, we want to be honest about our beliefs without being condemning of people. And we want to share honestly about our struggles so that people are willing to, um, to engage with us and, and open up as well. Uh, so it, lastly, it's really important um, that we understand that we, to love someone doesn't mean to approve of everything that they do. And it doesn't mean that you offer approval for um, things that, that you believe are, are wrong and hurtful. And uh, homosexual practice, we, we believe, is, is dangerous and destructive. Uh, that's what the Bible teaches. And so to love someone is not to approve of something that will ultimately hurt them. But it is to draw near. It is to be a friend. It is to do all those things uh, that we talked about. So 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 5 are very clear about this. James 1 said that, says that sin, any sin, if left unchecked and led to, left to grow, um, ultimately leads to death. And we desire life for our friends, not death. And so it would be wrong uh, to approve of something we believe would lead to death. Next question. So how do I maintain integrity with homosexuals and other people with whom I disagree? Um, you want to be honest and you want to show love. Um, and you want to draw near to them and show that you actually care. 
you're not just trying to make a point, you want to make a difference. You actually care about who uh, they are. When you encounter someone who has a vastly different worldview than you, the chances are they have some really strong assumptions, maybe stereotypes about what, who you are and what you believe, and you have the same of them. And so one of the great things about relationship, about entering into someone's life and asking these questions and getting to know them, is that you can actually break down these barriers created by these stereotypes and assumptions. Um, and that is exactly what Jesus did uh, in his ministry, and that's a ministry we get to share um, as his ambassadors. And so um, we, can, we can be filled with grace and truth, and we can be honest um, when we confront things we disagree with, we can be honest about our struggles. So a great way to maintain integrity is to not, um, not give a higher view of yourself than is accurate, okay? If people feel like they're looked down upon, it's really hard to have a relationship, but if you're willing to get down with them and share your own struggles, your own imperfections, your own sinful proclivities, then, then there's at least the opportunity um, to, really be, to really know and be known. So a key question in that is where do you struggle um, as it relates to grace and truth? Are you more of a truth person where you're going to lead with what's right? Are you more of a grace person where you're going you're gonna to lead with kindness and compassion? We need both to represent Jesus well. We need both. And, and uh, my prayer as you, as you listen to this, uh, this discussion is that um, you won't just hear what what you already agree with, but you'll hear what you need to hear, which are the things that are difficult, the things that are, that are hard. So uh, we need to be filled with grace and truth. Jesus lived a nar- uh, a, a, a walked a narrow path and he lived a lonely life. Um, there were, he was rejected by the conservatives of his day and the liberals of his day. Uh, he, he, when he was crucified, it was, a, it was a lonely place. There weren't a lot of folks there. Um, but he's created this new community uh, to represent him now to the world and to go out and live these truths. So a couple practical questions um, I want to tackle now uh, on these, these topics. And I, <laughs> I was not entirely sure if I wanted to, to go here or not because there's some controversial stuff here, but uh, I think it's helpful for us to think this through. So, so we're going to do that. So the next question, and this is something that I've had asked me several times, is should I attend a gay wedding? How many of you have heard that question, wrestled with that question, had an opinion on that question? Okay, not a ton. It, it, it probably, uh, as this ruling is worked out, we may or may not have more opportunities to, to try to think through this. Um, and I've had people speculate and even um, offer up what they felt was the church's view on this. To my knowledge, we haven't taken a specific view. So um, I kind of want to share that with you right now. Uh, the answer to this question, as I've talked to our pastors and our elders, is maybe. Okay? The answer is maybe. Uh, and and it's, it's the, the same answer to, to the, the, the kind of the, the parallel question, should I uh, serve at a gay wedding? which is, I'm going to blend these two together. Um, there's reasons to go and reasons not to go. Now, I'll say this, as a, as a pastoral team, we will not officiate a gay wedding because that would be approving of something and participating directly uh, in something that we believe will lead to um, destruction in someone's life, not blessing. So we, we will not participate in actually officiating the ceremony or blessing that union. But there are reasons you may, wanna, you may want to attend. 
Um, those reasons might include your desire to prove your enduring love and commitment to someone. That, that a decision that they make isn't, isn't going to just um, separate you from their life in terms of your friendship. That may be a reason uh, to attend. Uh, it may be uh, a reason to attend maybe to acknowledge a lasting bond. Uh, you may have a family member, a son, a daughter, a mother, a father, a brother, a sister who is getting married and you may attend to acknowledge that you are still their sibling or you are still their parent. You're still their child. Um, that, that may be a reason to go. Um, a reason to attend may be to give you a platform and opportunity to share the goodness and love of Jesus with them. It's difficult to do that if you don't have a relationship with them. And, if, and you may decide through prayer and seeking the Lord and seeking wise counsel that to go would actually give you an opportunity to have greater discussion and better, better um, kind of proximity to their life. There also may be some reasons not to attend. Uh, you may not want to give approval of what's going on. And so that would be a reason not to attend. Uh, you may not want to condone something that's harmful or destructive. If you believe, as we do, that, that homosexual marriage is not God's plan and it's not um, his, his good and perfect purpose for our lives, then you may not want to participate in that and you may want to withdraw. Um, you may not want to reinforce a false worldview. There's a, there's a story that someone's believing when they, when they go down uh, this road, when they make these decisions, and you may say, I can't, I can't be a party to that. I can't support that. And so you may decide um, to not attend. But ultimately, we believe this is an issue of conscience. This is uh, something that we need to think through and pray through deeply, and we need to think with the right goals in mind, okay? We don't need to be afraid of getting sin on us because sin is all over this world and Jesus cleanses us from it and we've got plenty of it in our own lives. Okay, so not attending a gay wedding is not to stay somehow pure or clean. Um, another thing uh, to think through is don't take the easy way out. Okay, Jesus lived a hard life, but it was a good life and it accomplished a lot. And we as his followers are not called to the, the easy way. We're called to the hard way of following him and loving him. And so it, it may be either decision, maybe the, the difficult decision, but we want to follow the Lord where he would have us go. Um, and lastly, I'd say listen to God, listen to mature believers, listen to people who understand and know your situation um, and, and make a decision, make an informed decision. Uh, we, we have a kind of a celebrity culture, so to speak, in, in our world today where we all kind of pick the people that we think are who we want to be like and we follow them. Uh, and it's no different in the church. So there's all kinds of voices. There's these celebrity kind of talking head Christian voices, pastors. Some are all for this, some are against it, and some are in between. And I would say just be careful who, who you're listening to and why you're listening to them. God has called you uh, to follow him as an individual and as a, and as a body, but, but as it relates to your individual relationship with him, you'll, you will be judged on, how, on the decisions you make, not the decisions someone else makes. And so we really need to focus hard on thinking through um, what is God calling me to do in this situation. And we can do that in light of our overall understanding of our mission, our mission in this world is to make disciples. It's to call people to follow Jesus. It's not to build a physical, political kingdom on this earth. 
It's to, it's to round up Jesus' followers and to live out the kingdom organically as we await the return of our Lord. And so that, that's really important as we're thinking through uh, these issues. Next question I want to address, and I know this, this, is a re- this can be a really sensitive topic, um, something that, that's come up multiple times. Are people born this way? Um, and th- I would say the same thing as I said on the last question, maybe. Maybe they are. Um, I'm not a biologist, and, uh, and I don't think we need to be to, to wrestle through and think through this issue as Christians. Uh, we believe that God created a perfect world. It was beautiful. It was perfect. There was no sin or distortion or brokenness in it. And when Adam and Eve sinned and turned away from God and chose to follow their own hearts rather than follow the one, the loving creator who made them, sin entered all of creation. It distorted our relationship with God. It broke our relationship with ourselves. It broke our ability to relate to others. And it it destroyed or or broke our relationship with, with creation. And so um, we believe that part of the true story of the world is that everyone is born in sin. And that sounds like terrible news, but we believe it's true. And, if it, 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 and the good news is there's a cure for it. There, there's a solution. Um, but we have to start with a, a right understanding of the problem. And so if, if the question is, could someone be born with a same-sex um, orientation, I, I see no reason biblically why that couldn't be true. However, the Bible does not say that whatever your sinful um, proclivities are uh, is the way that you're supposed to live. Uh, we, we're, all, we're all born with, with, with sinful desires and tendencies, and Christ came to free us from those. He came to free us from finding our identity in those, those tendencies and to find our identity and our hope in him uh, instead. And so what's helpful for, for me as I think through this question is to ask the question, what sin was I born in? What are my sinful tendencies and temptations? As we encounter folks who have certain struggles that may be different than ours, it's helpful to remember uh, we, we have brokenness in our lives as well, and we need the grace of, of Jesus as, as we think through those. So it, it's possible that someone could be born this way, but that doesn't mean that it's right to follow those desires. You hear the world talk about this, this phrase, like, follow your heart, follow your heart. Uh, Jeremiah says our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful. That's bad advice, okay? Don't follow your heart. Follow the one who made you and loves you and is redeeming and pulling out the brokenness and the wickedness in all of us, okay? Uh, next question can a gay person be a Christian? Great question. Um, I think we need to define terms a little bit. We talked about uh, orientation, the way we come into the world. Absolutely, someone who has an orientation toward the same sex can submit their life to Jesus and follow him. Someone who's actively, regularly living a homosexual lifestyle, which is contrary to God's path for blessing and contrary to his word, uh, the scriptures would offer no Uh, security or assurance of salvation for that person. Just like it would offer no security or assurance for a person who walks away from their marriage for no, without biblical reasons or someone who murders someone uh, and and doesn't repent or someone who is a consistent gossip and doesn't repent. The issue is, are we following the Lord? Are we submitting our lives to him or are we following um, our own desires? So does that make sense? Okay. 
So uh, absolutely someone with same-sex attraction could be a Christian, but someone who's living in active rebellion from God, uh, the scriptures offer no assurance of salvation for that person. Uh, next question. Is it okay for me to be disgusted by all this? Is it all right for me to, to look at all this, you know, uh, pictures of gay people kissing when they get married, it's all over the media, or Caitlyn Jenner's, you know, sex transformation stuff, and, and just look at that and go, ew, or that's disgusting. Is it okay to have that response? I've heard that a lot, and I've, if I'm honest, I've had that response at times. Uh, and the question I would ask back is, how did God view your sin? How did God view you in your sin? Uh, one of the most powerful passages in the Bible that I absolutely love is in Luke 19. Jesus is walking into Jerusalem for the last time. He's going to the cross. He comes up over the hill and he sees Jerusalem, which is a city full of sinners like every city in the world. And he sees their sin and he's burdened by it. And what does he do? Does he call down judge, judgment and condemnation? Does he stand as a self-righteous Lord over him? Which he could have. He absolutely could have because he had no sin. No, he weeps. He says, oh, Jerusalem, would that you would this day turn to me and experience life. And that's our reaction when we see sin. That should be our reaction as Christ followers. It should make us weep because these are people these are fellow human beings who we love that God created with dignity and respect and they're going down a path that will not lead to blessing. And so we weep. Our hearts are broken. Um, next question. How should I express my opinions and convictions? We live in a world where everyone loves to express their opinion. In fact, I think most people feel like everyone wants to hear their opinion. The advent of social media has made that really, really easy to do. Um, and so we need to think this through as Christians who are primarily here on this earth to represent Jesus to our world. We need to think through, how should I express my convictions? How should I express what I believe? Well, the way we answer that question has to be informed by our primary mission. There's lots of good callings and missions and purposes that God has for us, but we have one primary overarching mission that's the same for every Christ follower on this planet. And that mission is to make disciples, make followers of Jesus. And Jesus showed us how to do that. We've talked about that already. He drew near to people. He was grace, gracious and compassionate and full of truth in their lives. That is our primary mission. And if we can't get close enough to help people see the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for them, then that's a problem. And I would submit that a lot of things that are linked to and liked and posted on Facebook probably build more walls than they do bridges. So we need to think long and hard. Political statements are important and we believe that politics is a gift from God, but it's not the primary mission. The primary mission is to make disciples of Jesus by showing Jesus to others through our community and through our individual lives. Second uh, Corinthians 5 says that we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. So I would just ask you, if someone went on your Facebook page, and I'm not on Facebook, so I don't know what any of you all post, um, but if someone went on your Facebook page, would they hear God making his appeal through us? 
to be reconciled to him. Would that sound like good news to them? Are you presenting a God that, that someone would want to know? Good questions to ask. James 1 says we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. Not a lot of listening going on in social media these days. So you may want to consider that. Um, and again, I mentioned this, but there are people in this church who have really close relationships with folks who struggle in this area. Sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. That, I'm not just making that up. That's, those are real people. And we can say things without really considering that, 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 that they might be here listening and can really hurt. So we need to be very um, careful what we say. Uh, next question. Is homosexual practice different than any other sins? Um, I would say yes and no. So the Bible says that there is a certain self-destructive nature to sexual sin, homosexual and heterosexual, if it's outside God's boundaries that he sets in place for our good. God doesn't make rules just to spite us or frustrate us. He makes rules because he loves us. Just like that's what, that's what good parents do. And God's a good parent. So um, the Bible says that, that there are some unique self-destructive characteristics or qualities of, of sexual sin. Uh, one of the things that makes homosexual practice so, so challenging for, um, for our neighbors that, that don't embrace the Lord is that it's so closely tied with identity. And um, it's, it's very hard to renounce something if you're told that's who you are. Okay, that's why we have, to, we have to embrace a biblical worldview which tells us our identity is apart from Christ, we are in sin. We, we're desperately needy and in Christ, we are, we are a new creation, no longer defined by our desires, no longer defined by um, our sinful tendencies, but we're defined by Christ. And so, so it's different in that sense. Um, it's very difficult to come out of the homosexual community because it's a very tight community. And so it, there's danger there. So it's diff different than other sins in that way. And it's an distortion of God's image, the very image of God, which is significant. And so it, it is different in that way. However, it's not different in many other ways. Um, it doesn't seem to be elevated in Scripture as, as one of the, the worst sins, uh, God calls people out on, hum on pride a whole lot more than he mentions homosexuality. Um, there are sins, there are many sins that are listed out in addition to the sin of homosexuality which lead to death and which require the gracious forgiveness of God. Um, so, so, yeah, I guess the last thing I'd say is um, when you read Proverbs 6 where God talks about the things he really, really hates, uh, self-righteousness, arrogance, haughty eyes, boastfulness, those, those are things that, that make the list. This sin didn't. So I'm not saying it's not important, I just said it was. But it's not the most important. And actually there's things that we all struggle with that are, that are, that are more, of a, more of a challenge, maybe, biblically speaking, that we can, we can work on. A couple more questions here. Uh, next one. How do I f confront other Christians about rudeness and unkindness if you experience this, especially if you have loved ones who struggle with homosexuality? Uh, you can get very angry. There might be a lot of tension in your heart as we have this conversation. Uh, the way to confront Christians is the same way you should confront uh, others in your life with grace and truth, just like Jesus did. So draw near to listen. Draw near in relationship. Draw near to make a difference, not a point. And be filled with grace and truth. Lastly, what's my gay friend's primary issue? 
There are a lot of issues. There's a lot of points being made out there. What's the primary issue? The primary issue is that they don't love and serve Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's the primary issue. It's not their sexual orientation. That is not their primary issue. And so it shouldn't be our primary issue either. It's something we speak into. It's something we want to be honest about. But we want to love people the way Christ loved them. And we want to call them to follow a good and loving God who desires their blessing and promises life in his presence. So in conclusion, a couple things to think about here. Uh, What now for us? Go ahead. The first one, who defines your convictions? This is an important question. Who defines your convictions? Is it a celebrity person that you follow? Is it Fox News? Is it MSNBC? Is it a particular author or speaker or talk radio host? Um, God's not going to judge them based on your convictions. He's going to judge you. And it's very important that the scriptures and your community of faith, your pastors, your church, and the the wider church um, help you in, in those questions. Next question, what are you afraid of? Fear is such a, such a dangerous uh, thing in, in our world. It can make us do things that we otherwise wouldn't do. And so I want to remind us of the end of the story. We don't have to be afraid. Jesus will return and establish his kingdom. We're not trying to do that work right now. We're trying to live at, under his lordship and rule in a, in a different culture, in a world that doesn't submit to his lordship. And we want to call people individually, one by one, to turn and follow him. You don't have to be afraid. God's in control. He's on the throne. You can love people um, without fear. Next question. Pray for boldness. If you're a grace person but you don't do the truth thing well, pray for boldness. It's not loving to, um, to facilitate or approve of behavior that's ultimately going to lead to destruction. Pray for boldness. And then lastly, if you're a truth person and you don't do grace really well, Pray for relationships, real relationships with gay people. Pray for real relationships that would allow you to get close enough to show not only the things that you do well, but the things that you do poorly and, and how God's grace is, is working in your life and how needy you are. Um, try, try, pray, pray for God to bring those, those opportunities. I've been really encouraged by folks who've, who've been doing that. Um, I think that honors the Lord. So we're out of time. Um, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come. John's going to come and and lead us in communion. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. And as we just sung earlier, we want to be like you. We want to know you. And we know that you use difficulty and tension and pain and suffering in our lives to make us more like you. And so, Lord, let us enter into this tension this difficult cultural moment and cultural conversation full of grace and truth with the boldness to love people in a self-sacrificing way. God, you've given us a great example to follow. We love you. We want to be like you. Let us be shown. uh, let, Let the world see you and see Jesus when they look at us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Matthew. Yeah. I hope that was helpful.